is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. When the vaccines first came out, there were concerns about whether pregnant women should take them. Studies were done. It turns out they are safe for moms who are expecting. CDC strongly encouraging pregnant women to get a vaccine shot. The rate remains low for them. There's a problem with future moms ending up in the ICU. There's a new bill in Congress that would change the rules for domestic flights and the pandemic and sex. We'll look into some interesting new findings. We start, though, with pregnant women and the vaccine. Dr. Allison Cahill, maternal fetal medicine physician and professor in the Department of Women's Health at the University of Texas. Brian Ping and I asked her if the CDC is upping its guidance and strongly urging this because so many pregnant women are ending up in the hospital. It's at a higher rate. Unfortunately, uh, the CDC's data still reflects a very low rate of vaccination uh, among pregnant and lactating people. Um, And that's incredibly unfortunate because it's widely available now. And importantly, pregnancy and the postpartum period are high risk conditions to actually develop severe COVID disease. So the CDC now has really a fair amount of safety data um, and Uh, There's really um, a tremendous reason to for all of us to encourage our patients and those around us who we know are pregnant to please receive the vaccine. Doctor, just how bad can it get uh, for a fetus, for a baby, if they are born to a mother who is suffering from a case of COVID? Well, if they're born to a mom who's suffering, they're fortunate because that means that they've made it far uh, far enough along in the pregnancy that they're, when they need to be delivered, they're able to survive um, outside of their mom's body. But certainly very severe disease can require early delivery um, and even um, the inability to, to deliver the baby because mom has gotten severely ill uh, before the pregnancy is far enough along for the baby to even conceivably live outside of mom. What is it that makes pregnancy one of these underlying conditions? Is it simply that there's a there's a whole lot going on with the body when these changes are happening? That's a really excellent question, and I think we're still trying to understand the why behind it. We know that it's certainly factual. We've had excellent data both from around the world and uh, from within the United States since uh, the summer of 2020, uh, that pregnant women are at increased risk to have severe disease, uh, more likely to be admitted to the ICU, more likely to need the lung bypass called ECMO, and more likely to die. Um, and this isn't in a way surprising because co- the disease that one gets from COVID-19 specifically targets the lungs, and there are normal physiologic changes in the lungs that have made pregnancy a high-risk condition for other viruses that we know much more about, um, like strains of the flu, remembering H1N1 uh, and the like. Is there anything that you've heard at all or read at all in the medical community suggesting that the vaccine might imperil fertility or pregnancy? No, and I'm really glad you raised that point because, in fact, it's quite frustrating that that thought has gained so much traction uh, in social media and in lay press. Um, And it's really important that folks like you raise the question here so we can talk about it. Um, There was no theoretic 
reason or concern scientifically that the vaccine would negatively impact future fertility. Um, and there's absolutely no evidence um, of any kind that would suggest that that's the case. Um, and as we can imagine and just put our heads together, the vaccine itself has only been being put in humans for about 15 months. So there would be no way to even study that in a good scientific way. Uh, but of the things that uh, there were theoretic concerns about, uh, which none of which have borne out, future concerns about fertility were absolutely not one of them uh, for females or for males. Dr. Allison Cahill, maternal fetal medicine physician, professor, Department of Women's Health, University of Texas, Austin. Senator Dianne Feinstein from this state, from California, has introduced a bill that would require domestic airline passengers either show proof of vaccination or have a recent negative COVID test or show proof they've recovered from COVID. Not international, this again domestic. With us is Joe Brancatelli, business travel and airline industry analyst, founder and editor of the site's JoeSentMe.com. Brian and I asked him if he thinks the bill is going to fly, especially because it doesn't seem to have too much traction, at least not yet. I mean, it's hard to get traction for anything when we don't know for sure if we're going to keep the government open, although that seems to have been solved today. Um, Part of the problem is nothing that's happened um, with COVID and coronavirus and the vaccines and maskings and anything has happened with laws. It's all been regulation. And I would suspect that if we go to some sort of vaccine mandate or testing domestically, it'll be the same thing for airlines. Why the need? Aren't the masks good enough that we've all had to wear? Well, I think I think we have a, a, a dual situation here. There is the, the whether the masks work. And in fairness to airlines, the number of cases we can track directly to an aircraft are fairly low, both domestically and internationally. But there's also the, the opinion. The, the airlines seem to be split. They don't really want to do a vaccine mandate because they don't know how they'd manage it. But they also believe that if people had more confidence in flying, i.e. that everybody they're flying with is vaccinated or has been tested, more people will fly. And we're still around two-thirds of where we were two years ago, and that is not financially sustainable for the airlines. Other considerations, though, I mean, just ease of even getting on the plane someday. Because my international trip, if I go to Germany, right, I'm planning that ahead. If I'm flying Burbank to Sacramento, I can do that tonight. It's it's a whole different kind of playing field if you're just going on southwest somewhere. I don't think a lot of people would expect the need to test if they're not vaccinated just to do that jaunt. Well, that is possible. I, I wonder how many people just get on a plane anymore, even in the incredibly busy California corridor, that mentality of next flight out. On. But there probably is an easier way. We, we don't have a national vaccine database, which is really problematic now when you ever try to impose any of these things. But it could be as simple as if the federal government decides that aircraft, you can't get on an aircraft without a vaccine. Let's start with that. It may be as simple as when you approach the TSA checkpoint, you're asked to not only show your boarding pass, but your CDC card. That may be the way they're going to go about it. And the White House has been talking about this since July. So it may or may not be a mandate to come. I just don't think it'll come by a law. 
I mean, we've had this discussion about restaurants and bars and, and shops having to uh, mandate this, and we're like, you know, are they going to have bouncers at the door? I mean, in, in some cases, it's kind of a lot to ask. But for the airline industry, not so much, because you already kind of have to go through a bouncer, the TSA agent. And as you mentioned, uh, that's a built-in way of just you know, checking for the card along with the uh, the boarding pass. Yeah, I hadn't thought of the TSA as bouncers. Um, <laughs> if you look at some of the TSA folks, I don't think they'd want to be bouncers. Um, but if you if you swing over to the East Coast here, where I'm based in New York, we're a little bit ahead of Los Angeles County on the mandates, and there really hasn't been much complaints from restaurateurs, for example. There have been a few isolated uh, complaints, and a couple of Texas ladies punched out a hostess. Uh, you surely remember last week or the last couple of weeks. But hotels, restaurants, and of course the New York Theater have all been very happy with the results that people believe they're safe. And if you believe you're safe, you'll happily show your vaccination card and people will come back. I would make the case that the airlines actually believe this themselves, as long as they're not the ones being asked to um, check and do the mandate itself and go through that, you know, political policy. If they dumped it on the TSA to check a CDC card, yeah. It might be much less problematic. Okay, yeah. So that's uh, to your point of if it's going to come from somewhere, maybe it's not the laws, maybe it's not the airlines, maybe it's that TSA regulation, because that's where the, the masking comes from From anyway. D- does anybody have domestic travel rules like this? D- Canada is doing this, if I'm not mistaken? Canada, you must be vaccinated. It's like everything else, Mike. It's all across the board, all around the world. If you go to Germany, as you mentioned in your setup, um, a mask won't cut it. You need a specific kind of mask, the N or uh, N or N ninety fives. That Lufthansa demands. So you know airlines can do it if they want to. Um, most of them want the vaccine mandate, but they don't want to be the enforcers. As you say, it might get kicked over to TSA. Um, but most other countries are way ahead of us. You know, even places like Italy and Denmark are complaining that they didn't reach their quotas at 80 percent we've just barely reached 55 percent so if you're thinking about taking a trip maybe you don't want to get on a plane when one out of three americans are not vaccinated you don't think that one intrepid u.s airline is going to take that step and require the mandate because as you said it could be good for the bottom line people feel safe right i know Qantas is doing this so there is a, a template they can follow well Qantas isn't flying internationally right now so they can claim anything they want They've been claiming they were just about to bring back international service for the last year. And then, you know, Australia has stayed locked down. Um, we could look at United Airlines, which this this week has started, fi- say, says they've started firing the few employees who don't have an exemption and haven't vaccinated. They claim they're about 97 percent vaccinated on their staff. I mean, that would be the airline I'd look at next. They'd say, well, look, we've taken the step of vaccinating our employees. Now we're asking you as the customer to be vaccinated because we think it's safe for you. So it's possible one airline would break, but I think they're listening very carefully to see what the Biden administration does in the next few weeks. And we're getting close to that point where for the big Thanksgiving rush, you're going to want to have a couple of weeks of testing the tests and the vaccine mandate before you get into that heavy, you know, Thanksgiving is a madhouse anyway for travel. So you'd want to have that in by the earliest first week in November, which is when they claim the new international rules will be in force. Joe Brancatelli, business travel and airline industry analyst, and he's got JoeSentMe.com. Joe, thanks. Short break and then sex and the pandemic. They don't really go together, or do they?
If you're single, you're unattached, you might be having a completely different sex life than somebody with a significant other right now. New survey shows pretty different experiences out there during the pandemic. Some people got uh, busier. Others, they're in the long drought. Brian and I talked to Dr. Helen Fisher, Senior Research Fellow at the Kinsey Institute, and Ida Mandelay, Sexuality Educator and Social Worker, to Dr. Fisher first on what the survey found. Well, what's interesting is one of the questions, you know, this is an, a scientific study. I mean, uh, you know, we pull, we don't pull the matched members. It's a, it's a national representative sample of singles based on the U.S. Census. So it does represent, you know, what singles are doing today. And that's one third of the American population. So it's important. We asked the question, is sex important to you? And over 80% of both men and women are uh, now regarded as less important to them, as well as Gen Z and uh, Gen X and the boomers. So, Yes, they are more picky. They are just more picky. Uh, something like 58% of singles will not go out with somebody and will not have sex with somebody uh, unless they're vaccinated. So uh, we're seeing a real shift in in pickiness of who you want. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, and I think that will continue because it, it's a very square generation, actually, the young. I call them the new Victorians. And uh, they've had a long trend of being less sexual than other uh, birth cohorts, but uh, it's uh, increased. They're, they're choosing now. Uh, sex is less important to them now. And uh, they seem to be more, much more dedicated in making a long term partnership. Uh, so, uh, you know, in fact, uh, you know, 58 uh, percent uh, of them uh, uh, regard uh, no, I said 48 percent of them regard people who are not vaxxed as selfish and they want people who are selfless. Uh, who will get faxed not only for themselves, but for everybody around them. So I think this is a trend that was only escalating due to the pandemic and that it will stick with us. I've been hearing and seeing a lot more ads lately for divorce attorneys. I don't think that's a coincidence. We're hearing uh, some reports about how the divorce rate is going higher because COVID is having a real impact on marriages and people who are forced to spend more time together. And as it turns out, that's not always a good thing. Yeah, well, you know, I'm an anthropologist and we were not um, for millions of years. We lived in these little hunting and gathering groups and you saw at least 25 people every day. Uh, You know, we were not built for 24-7 at home, um, either alone, particularly if you're single. Um, But you know what's interesting about what you just said? Yes, we're hearing about more divorce, but we're not collecting data on all the people who are actually getting married or finding each other uh, during these during these bad times. So I do think there's two sides of it. Uh, We weren't built for 24 seven with each other. And I think it's a time when people are really taking the card look at what they've got what they want, what they don't have, and they're making changes. It's going to be an enormously sweepingly uh, changing time, I think, in human sex and love. Ida, let's bring you in. Uh, Thoughts on what's going on out there. Also wondering, and this was one of the newsroom discussions, if those who are stuck together and and actually made it, haven't gotten divorced, if maybe, uh, you know, you've had 18 months to to spend with each other and uh, there is a certain way to, to, to kill some time, maybe some people are getting closer together. Absolutely. For some people, this is just a really clarifying moment because you're having to take, like Helen said, a good hard look 
at what's working and what's not in your relationship and things that you may have just not noticed before because maybe you were traveling a lot or or at the office a lot are now being exacerbated by having to spend this time together. The other thing that I've noticed with a lot of clients and folks in community is just noticing how much more exacerbated mental health issues in general are. And for some people who are managing pretty well before the pandemic, this is the time where everything's coming out of the woodwork. And so there's a mix of, you know, burnout, fatigue, trauma, as well as issues around libido, issues around connection with partners. Um, But this is also meaning that people are realizing truths about themselves that they didn't necessarily have words for before or didn't have the time to explore. So another thing that's affecting couples right now is looking at discordant libidos, uh, changes in sexual orientation or discoveries about gender and sexual orientation that, again, they either didn't have time for or were ignoring for a while. And that's coming up. And for some couples and for some relationships, it's amazing because it's letting them truly be who they are and who they want to be. But it's absolutely, you know, breaking some other folks apart. Yeah, and I want to follow up on that. We had a, a story today uh, that 40% of people in, in many developed countries, they want to change their jobs in the next three to six months. They want that big lifestyle change. I think this is kind of part of that, too. It's a whole reckoning of their entire lives, and that includes their sex life. Absolutely. We're also seeing that for people who used to work outside the home and are now at home or are basically stuck on Zoom all the time, there's changes to appearance, changes to how they present, and sometimes a lessening of the stressors related to presenting a certain way for the office. So again, we're seeing a lot of changes around how people relate to their bodies. We're seeing a lot of stuff around people's relationship to food and exercise, which all has a a role to play, not just in mental health, but also how people can show up for their relationships and what they're interested in doing in them. So for some folks, this is just, again, a period of explosive growth and also Also, for some folks, what we're seeing is a lot of scarcity mentalities, a lot of um, distress because there's things that they want that they just have had to put on pause. Um, And so there's like a scrambling for some folks to find these things or really think about their life and where they want it to go, especially with questions of, am I going to be alive in a couple of months, right? (laughs) And with the vaccines, there's a little bit less of that stress for a lot of people, but it's still a concern, especially for a lot of frontline workers. All right, so some people doing it more, some people doing it less. For the change, as the doctor was saying, they want something more meaningful now, uh, as opposed to the, you know, vaxxed and waxed summer. Um, Is it just like we've gotten older through this? We've aged 10 years and two years. And uh, if you were like Peter Pan syndroming it before, you don't feel 22 anymore. You're, you're actually kind of acting your age. Yeah, absolutely. The grip on linear time is slipping for a lot of people, even <laughs> those who had a pretty good grip on it before. And so we're seeing a lot of folks with, again, a, a renewed interest in figuring out where their life is going to go and how they're going to get there. At the, and at the same time, right? That's not everyone. There's people who are, are looking at life now and like, look, you know, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Let me just live it up now and not focus on very long-term planning. So regardless of what, you know, the data says, there's always going to be someone having a different experience. And that's one of the things that sometimes I, I focus on in my work, right? Who is the minority in the data that might need services or conversations that are not being had by the mainstream? Ida Mandelay, sexuality expert, social worker, Dr. Helen Fisher, chief scientific advisor at Match and senior research fellow at the Kinsey Institute. 
Scientists say they think they know why one person in a relationship gets sick with COVID and their partner doesn't. Researchers in Brazil say the cases are rare, but they looked into them anyway. Blood samples found resistant partners more often have genes that contribute to more efficient activation of so-called natural killer cells, part of the immune system, the initial response to germs. When the cells are correctly activated, they're able to recognize and destroy infected cells, preventing the disease from developing. Researchers do admit they can't actually prove this is happening, but they think it's going on. This is an Odyssey original. Find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.